Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. And we're in a different environment these days, right? As remote working is prevalent for most of us, how we interact with colleagues is changing. And I don't know about you, but that change can introduce stress and tension. I found myself appreciating others more. In spite of individual circumstances, even when someone lets me down and I get a little upset about that, I'm still finding something to appreciate about them. I thought this was a good topic for all of us to explore more, and I found a true master of workplace appreciation, psychologist Dr. Paul White. He makes work relationships work. For the past 20 years, he's improved numerous businesses, schools, government agencies, and nonprofit organizations. He has put his expertise in a book titled The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. In this interview, you'll learn all five and how using appreciation will transform how you work for the better. And remember, as you listen, if you want to go back to any details, we take detailed notes for you. We also write an action guide for you. It's a one-page PDF to help you put the concepts into action right away. You'll find those resources at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 298. Now, let's talk with Paul. Dr. White, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So you have a new book, at least new to me, out recently, The Five Languages of Appreciation. And the title caught my attention for a couple reasons. One, for product managers that I am and love working with so very much. You know, we, we need to know processes and concepts of product management. But what I find really kind of distinguishes the good from the great product managers is what's often called kind of the soft skills, right? You know, emotional intelligence and things like that. And so the title of your book just caught my attention, like, okay, here's probably some skills to help us be more effective. And then the other thing that caught my attention was it was oddly familiar. So, <laughs> And indeed, your, your co-author on this is Gary Chapman, and right. he wrote The Five Love Languages, which is the oddly familiar part, which if no one's, if you haven't heard of that yet as an everyday innovator, a very well-known book. My wife and I read it. I think we probably went to a, a marriage conference using it, you know, and it's, it's widely used for relationships. I'm curious about that transition, right? Sure. How, how did you get hooked up with Gary and go from love languages to appreciation languages? Yeah, so I'm a psychologist by training, and one of the things that I uh, was doing more in the past was uh, consulting with family-owned businesses and dealing with the family relationships that intertwine with that, and especially business succession. And in dealing with one of my clients, uh, it was in North Carolina, a um, construction company, and talking to the CEO and the father and said, you know, how's the plan going, you know, the transition and so forth. He said, it's going well. My son's stepping up. I think we're going to be okay. I walk across the hall and ask the son the same question. And he says, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I never heard anything good from my dad. And I thought, man, you know, they are missing each other. And my wife and I were actually uh, going through probably for the fourth time, maybe the five love languages, because I'm a slow learner on those kind of things. And uh, thought, you know, I wonder if this could, the concepts could apply. So I actually pursued Dr. Chapman and preferred for a year before I was able to wrangle a meeting with him and pitched the idea, and we wound up launching and, and looking into what eventually became our online assessment, the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory, which is part of our system. We've had 250,000 people take it now, 
and then worked on some training materials and wrote the book. The first version of the book actually came out in 2011. We rewrote it recently and updated it and all that, and so came out last year and and has has continued to do well for us. Excellent. Yeah, some good history there. And I I like the leveraging of the love languages. And we'll get into talking about that a little bit. I I want to get a better handle on what you kind of mean by appreciation. Because when I think of appreciation, I, I was thinking more in terms of like recognition. And when I ever think about motivating others and influencing others, Maslow's hierarchy always goes back into my mind. And kind of think about that, you know, esteem level where we can kind of motivate people through recognition and appreciate and I think appreciation along with that. Just how do you describe appreciation in that kind of context? Yeah, so, you know, uh, Stephen Covey actually said in uh, one of his books early on that, you know, appreciation is the next highest need beyond, you know, physical survival. And basically, appreciation is feeling valued for what you do or who you are. And one of the sort of distinguishes that we have to make is between employee recognition and appreciation, because most companies have employee recognition programs and all that. But we know that they actually don't work well at all in helping individuals feel valued. Uh, and that's not what they were designed for. They were to help, uh, you know, motivate around specific goals and performance. And when designed and implemented well, that goes well, but it doesn't necessarily make a person feel valued for who they are. And so we really right. focus on understanding the person not just, you know, their performance or their, their production. And so it, it's pretty straightforward, just, you know, being able to communicate appreciation for who they are, what they've done in the ways that are meaningful to them. And that's where the five languages come hmm. in because not everybody feels appreciated in the same ways. Okay. Let's just go a little bit deeper into that about, you know, the, the value to us, you know, product managers, my audience, we're helping companies create the next, next better product and creating more value for customers. We tend to have a lot of responsibility and really no influence. And leveraging appreciation, I think, can be very helpful to us. What do you see as really the benefits of us trying to apply appreciation with our colleagues? Well, yeah, one of the myths or misbeliefs that uh, business leaders have about appreciation is that it's just sort of making people feel good and Mm. that really touchy-feely kind of thing. When in actuality, there's lots of research, and in our book, we have a whole chapter on sort of the ROI of appreciation. We have citations, over 50 citations of research that show that when team members feel valued and appreciated, a lot of good things happen. Absenteeism goes down. People call in sick when they really aren't. Tardiness goes down. Staff turnover goes down, which we know is the single largest cost, non-productive cost to a business. Productivity actually goes up. Profitability goes up. Customer service ratings go up. So a lot less conflict over stupid little things, you know, like size of your monitoring, whether you have a window or not, things that eat time and energy. And so when people feel valued, those things really sort of diminish and go away. When they don't feel valued, they're really heightened because they're sort of, you know, touchy and irritable and it really gets in the way of the organization working well. So lots of, credi- lots of credible research there for why appreciation matters and real tangible benefits of appreciating others. I just like, you know, the, the, this day, I, I don't go and work with a team very much anymore, right? So I, mm-hmm. I help companies and teach classes. But uh, when I was working with teams and when we were together, right now we're in the remote uh, working environment, I wanted to wake up in the morning anxious to go do work, right? Mm-hmm. Because I enjoyed being part of the team and the work that we were getting to do. And when there was some conflict or something going on, you know, you, you don't feel that anymore. 
And right. I think appreciation contributes to all that as well. It's like, this is a place where I'm valued and I value others as well. And I enjoy working with the people. So, yeah, I often refer to appreciation sort of like the oil in a machine that helps mm. things run more smoothly, less friction, less sparks. Um, and just the organization is able to do what it's supposed to do well. Yeah. And I think I probably would have said something as, you know, if I like the people, that's great, right? <laughs> it makes everything go better. So. I'm interrupting this discussion just for a moment to share how I've seen encouragement as a factor in the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM experience. That's what I provide to organizations that want higher-performing product managers and product teams. It's a system that I've created. The RPM experience creates a knowledge foundation, getting everyone on the same page by understanding the concepts, tools, and practices all product managers should know. But it does so by using a co-facilitation model where the participants in the experience are sharing facilitation responsibilities. I sprinkle in a few other techniques with this that greatly increases collaboration. And as a result, I've seen participants become more encouraging, such as by stepping up to be mentors, more freely sharing information, and valuing each other. For organizations that want higher-performing product managers and product teams, by meeting 75 minutes a week for nine weeks, check out the RPM experience by going to theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now, let's get back to the discussion with Dr. White. Let's talk about the uh, five languages of appreciation. From ha- having, um, as listeners know, I, I usually don't actually read books ahead of time because I like having a fresh conversation. Cool. But from the table of contents, it looks like you leverage directly the five love languages. Yeah, they are the same in name as the five love languages, but they differ in what they look like and how they're Mm -hmm. applied in daily life, right? So you have words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and yes, even physical touch, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting one. So yeah, we have those five, but if you want, I can give a little explanation of each. Yeah, if you can run through, maybe give a a description or example of each as well. Sure, sure. So words of affirmation is pretty straightforward. It's words that are affirming, right? We affirm the value of a person. One, it's important to know that one thing that most people don't want to hear is good job because it's too vague and can be said to anybody about anything. So really to be effective, uh, a compliment or a word of praise needs to be very specific. One way to be specific is to, first of all, use a person's name. And if you're uh, writing it, spell it correctly. And then be specific in what they've done that you value and then why it's important uh, to you, to the organization, to the customer. So it could be, Jan, thanks for getting your report done and on time to me. That way I can combine it with the other information I need and turn it into the customer on time. And so that just makes my life a lot less stressful. Good. Okay. So we have words of affirmation. Right. And, you know, we've had 250,000 people take the inventory. So we have some decent data. So 46% of employees choose words of affirmation as their primary preferred language of appreciation, which is a big group, but it's still less than half of all employees. So we have to remember that not everybody responds to words and there are other ways that they value. So the second one is quality time. And quality time really breaks out into two different sort of areas. One is focused attention where people like to meet either with their supervisor or manager or, you know, a, a colleague that they value and be able to share and listen. And it's really important that you don't have anything else going on. You're not working on the computer, not looking at your phone and so forth. But for a lot of younger employees, it's less about one-on-one with 
their manager and it's more about collegial and peer interaction. They like to go to lunch with their colleagues, go out afterwards, and you know, we'll talk about sort of the remote version of this of each of these here a little bit later. But and that's 26%. So one of out of every four employees really value quality time. And it just just emphasize it doesn't take a lot of time. I had one CFO tell me, she said, you know, my language is quality time, but all I really need is somebody to stop by and check in, see how I'm doing. And after five minutes, I'm booting them because I got too much to do. So it's not like mm-hmm. you're becoming their best friend. Acts of service is the next one. And it's not rescuing a low performing colleague. It's more in the context, lots of times, of when you're working on a time limited project, you're pressing hard to get it done and, you know, just cramming on it. And what's something that somebody could do to help make that go better? Whether they can ask you to do part of it, delegate part of it, or maybe take over some daily life tasks, you know, uh, that you have to do that they can do. And so you can keep focused on the bigger project or maybe running interference with your email or phone calls or even maybe bringing in, you know, a meal so you can keep working. I think. And acts of service is about 22 percent of the, the workforce. So one out of every five. You know, I had a CEO tell me my my language is get her done. You know, don't tell me stuff. Don't give me things. Just help me get things get done. And I know you're on my team. So for those people, lots of times words isn't very important at all. The fourth one is tangible gifts, which in the business setting is not raises, compensation, bonuses, big presents and that kind of stuff. It's really small things that show that you're getting to know your team members. So it could be bringing in their favorite cup of coffee or sending them a gift card to if you're remote or they are, you know, send them a gift card to their favorite coffee shop or restaurant close by. It can be. Uh, a gift card, either that's sort of generic. Some people like generic ones. We've done a lot of research uh, on all these different aspects. And some people like, you know, an Amazon card. Others, Some people want a very specific one so they don't use it for just life expenses. I mean, they want it for iTunes or their bookstore or whatever. And then the last one of those is the magazines or some information about their hobby that you know they're following a certain sports team or there's, you know, training for a a 5k race and and you get them a running magazine or something like that. It's interesting that only 6% of employees identify tangible gifts as their primary way to be shown appreciation, which is important to compare with reward recognition programs, which really focus a lot on that. And I hate to tell people, but the truth is a lot of money is wasted on those gifts because they're very generic. They don't mean much. And people say, you know, if I get a gift and nobody ever says anything, never stop by and check into how I'm doing or help me out. It feels pretty superficial. So you can pair it with another action uh, or appreciation language to, to make it more impactful, but just by itself gives mm-hmm. tend to not be that desired by people. And then the last yeah, one. I, I, I was just going to say, yeah. Paul, I especially find little value when like on the 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. I get the email that says, Hey, we want to re- honor you for your service. Go to this website and pick out a gift. Exactly. And I usually pick out something for my kids. Yeah. Right? It, to me, it's sort of like giving myself a Christmas gift in an opening and say, oh, Paul, how did you know? <laughs> you know right. It's like no thought or effort or cost at all. So, anyway. And then physical touch is the last one. And, you know, we struggled whether to keep it in or not, but we did for a couple of reasons. One is we didn't want to advocate a touchless society, even in the workplace. We believe that appropriate physical touch can be quite meaningful in the appropriate relationship and setting. And also it happens, and it's largely spontaneous celebration, right? I mean, historically, it's been a high five when you finish a project, a fist bump, when you solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake. 
we'll see in the post-COVID days what remains. I've sort of teased with, you know, a backhanded high five, or I don't think that goes well. But I I think the fist bump may may hang in there. And it's less than 1% of the population. But but it's an important sort of cultural kind of thing in, in certain parts of the country, for sure. So... So those are the five languages. And what's really important that we also learned along the way is not just to find out the person's language, but also the specific actions. Because I had a manager say, well, my team member likes quality time. What does that mean? So in our inventory, we then went back and retooled it and identified the specific actions that people could choose from. We can list of 20 or 25. And also from whom they want that action, because they may want to get together and watch sports with their colleagues, but not necessarily invite their supervisor. So allow you to get real specific so you know exactly what's meaningful. Okay. So there's preferences here that people have, right? You, you told us how, how the population is for each one of these. So words of affirmation, right? 46% find that as their primary. I suspect then there's some ranking, right? Just like love languages that there's, you know, your, your secondary one and the like. Correct. How, <clears throat> so if that matters, you know, that how, how you show this appreciation matters, how do you go about trying to identify that, right? Just yeah. like if I'm trying to motivate people on my team, I want to do that individually, right? I find cookie cutter approaches really don't work well at all. Right. I want to find out what motivates them. There, there's this inventory that you have, right? right? So maybe we could have a, <clears throat> have a team event that does that. But what's your suggestions for figuring this out? Well, that's that's been sort of the, the issue or a major issue in if you think through the options, I mean, you can ask somebody say, well, you know, if I'm going to show you appreciation, how, how should I do it? That's a weird conversation in our culture. Right. And you don't get much anybody. They say, well, I guess tell me thanks. You know, so you don't have much feedback from that. Secondly, you can try to observe and see what they do. We actually did a little research and found that only about 75% of the time, which is decent, but uh, 25% of the time people use a different language in communicating appreciation than what they want. And also, there's just not that many data points, right, in, in a workplace, especially for remote. You know, how do you figure that out? So really, the, the main way is the inventory. It sounds sort of self-serving, but we give a code for to take the inventory with each book, or you can buy codes that we kept to cost low. I mean, maximum cost is 20 bucks a person. And then we have on our website the free resources for creating group profiles and, and working through it. And we created online training processes to, uh, that you can take your team through as well. So the only piece that's maybe close to that is asking how people are encouraged because encouragement and appreciation are very similar. Appreciation is about the past. Encouragement is about the present and future. And in our culture, people are a li- little bit more in touch with, you know, if, if they need to be encouraged, what, what works for them. But still, you get a pretty limited, you know, feedback loop of, of what's going on. The, the way that I typically approach this with teams, because someone might be thinking, I'm not going to ask my team to take this inventory, um, I, I, and maybe you have some suggestions to help with this. But the way I typically approach it is to literally, literally say, hey, I read in this book mm-hmm. uh, about this, and I thought that was really interesting, and I was curious what my type was, and I think it would be curious for, you know, it would be great for all of us to know kind of what our types were. So Great approach. how about we do this inventory together? Yeah. Right? And, and one of the other sort of lessons that we learned along the way is that it's not the sole responsibility of the manager or supervisor to communicate appreciation to everybody. It's too yeah. much weight and it doesn't work well. Whereas we want to teach and part of our training process is to involve all the team members so they can learn how to communicate appreciation to one another. And really as a leader, your goal and role is to both model it, but also provide the support and resources for them to be able to find out it and work on it with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So that, that gives us uh, ideas of how to find this. The, the instrument itself, the inventory, very useful. And just have fun doing it with your team and discover your own type as well. And then have a discussion about that. That'd be great. When it comes to motivation, <clears throat> we can really mess up motivation badly, right? Yeah. If I take someone who's a strong introvert and I surprise them by honoring them in front of the whole company, bring them up on stage, yeah, it it's unlikely they're ever going to do the great thing that they just did, right? <laughs> yeah. Again. And so does that apply to the languages too? Can I really mess this up by using the wrong appreciation language? Absolutely. I mean, we, again, uh, have done ongoing research and know that in the general workforce, 40% of people absolutely do not want to go up in front of a large group to be recognized. Uh, for administrative assistants, it's more than the 60% range. Librarians, it's 90%. High-performing salespeople, they're like, you know, bring the TV and camera. Where is it? You know, just bring it on. And so, yeah, it can, it can go badly. And in most cases, the worst part that happens is just wasted time and energy. It also can create some weirdness in the sense of somebody keeps stopping by to check in. And you, time is not on your, you know, radar. And it's just like, you know, I know they mean well, but this just doesn't get it for me. So that's part of our task is to help identify the specific actions that people can do so that they actually hit the target versus just do the shotgun approach or burn this altogether. Mm -hmm. So using the right approach does matter. Is there an example that you've come across where this really went badly, like where it sure. backfired and you messed yeah, up? Yeah, I had, I had one leader tell me, she said, I got employee of the year for our organization last year. And um, I was recognized. And she said, I spent the 15 to 20 minutes prior to getting the award in the bathroom throwing up. Mm -hmm. and so, and I've had other people say, I had one woman say, you can, you know, give me the award, but you have to either shoot me or carry me up on stage to get me there. I mean, it, that part really seems to elicit strong feelings. We actually found out that across the board, a person's primary language of appreciation is also the way that they're most easily offended. Mm -hmm. If you think about sort of, you know, modality of communication that both the positive and negative flow down that. So like for gifts, you offend a gift giver by giving everybody the same thing because for gifts, it really is the thought that counts that you've thought about them. It's about personal time. They're offended if there's distractions or you keep rescheduling acts of services. If you, uh, just compliment all the time and never, uh, you know, uh, offer to help out or you mm -hmm. correct how they are doing it in the midst of that. So, yeah, it can go badly. This is not a, a formula that people are just following and kind of like ro robots going through. Right. This is meant to be sincere and real, right? You are appreciating the person, right? right? Um, well, yeah. And you're giving us... And, and that touches on sort of the uh, maybe... The, to me, at least the obvious point, I mean, if you don't appreciate somebody, we clearly say don't fake it, right? Because that's not going to yeah. go well, right? Because people have a fairly decent radar of when you're just sort of blowing smoke at them and uh, it undermines any kind of trust. So we actually, in our training and through the book, we, we talk about if you don't appreciate somebody, what do you do and how do you maybe grow it? Very good. So just like, you know, applying emotional intelligence is actually caring about the people that you work with understanding them, getting to know them better, and showing appreciation for who they are. Yeah. And there are times I've had to separate that because I don't like the work that someone's doing, right? right? And I'm, I'm actually struggling with identifying the value of their work on the team. Mm -hmm. 
And yet I try to find, I'm curious about the person. I'm trying to appreciate them as a person and, and figure out what to do with the situation, right? Do they need to be on a different team? Do we need to make a change here? Am I under, am I uh, not identifying a contribution they could be making? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And, and with that, I mean, just to give some examples about that, one thing you do is look for characteristics that you value about the person that's not really related to their performance. I mean, personally, I like to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people. And there's some right. people I just, you know, they've got a great laugh and a smile and, and they just, they sort of light up the room. And so I can call attention to that, even though they've got to work on getting work on time or getting things done. Uh, or you can even go outside of work and say, wow, you know, Bill, I, I, I'm impressed with you training for this, you know, half marathon. And that's just cool that you got the discipline to do that. You know, it really impresses me. Or maybe to one of your team members and say, you know, uh, Melissa, I'm just really impressed of how committed you are to your kids and how you serve them and just love them. And it's just really inspiring to me. It's not about work, but it's about them. And, you know, you can communicate that you value that. And, and I think it will build, you know, trust and loyalty, even though it's not mm-hmm. about work. Yeah, those are really good tips. Okay, you mentioned uh, remote working a little bit ago, and as we have all been in this situation lately, how does this change with remote team members? Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we actually did uh, a research study comparing 88,000 people between those that were on-site and those who were remote to find out, is there a difference of how people want to be shown appreciation? And at that point in time, you got to remember it's pre-COVID, but I mean, one component was they like to touch base at least occasionally by video versus just phone, email, text. But more importantly was that you really have to be proactive because in on-site settings, you know, you may walk by somebody's office and sort of stick your head in and check in, or you might see them in the break room or walking in. And that doesn't happen when you're remote. And like right now, when we're working from home, it's just not there. And so if you don't proactively sort of seek out and talk to them or communicate, it doesn't happen. But a key part of that is that it needs to be personal, uh, that it's not just about work, because most remote communication is about, you know, tasks and projects and getting things done. And that's fine. It's good. It's what work is about. But if that's all you communicate about because you don't have those other spontaneous kind of interactions, then the person really feels like a production unit and just they're just a machine just cranking stuff. And so we found and we did did research this spring uh, in April and May with newly working from home employees and found that that's a key part to be able to stay connected at a personal level. And again, not just the manager, but for the team members to be able to do that because you don't have, you know, people aren't going to lunch together and so forth. So those pieces are, are really critical. And part, we created a virtual appreciation training program for people to be able to use like one hour a week uh, by a video conference, just to facilitate that. Because if you sort of just wait for things to spontaneously happen, it's pretty rare. So you need some structure to help you along the way. And so we tried to create a process and then, been received well uh, to be able to use that with team members out and about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So still making that personal connection, not just being about work all the time right. with these remote connections. And you said, you know, adding video, right? It, it, it does enhance the communication channel here. And it's been interesting to me. I do a lot of virtual facilitated training experiences. And now since COVID, it's easier to get people to turn on their video because right. it's being asked of them more often, which is great. I was part of a research team. We started in 2014 looking at the impact of webcams in virtual team meetings. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we published a few articles about, about that. And that's what got me starting doing it since then. Cool. 
And the other thing I adopted, I like this personal connection piece, not just about work. I start my, my remote team meetings now always with a unrelated check-in question. Yeah. And I usually design them to try to get to know each other at a deeper level. So it might be something like what one of your questions would be, you know, what is something that others appreciate about you mm-hmm. or who do you want to be like, you know, cool. or you know, just, just things to get to know each other. Better. Yeah. The other thing that we suggest is like when you have a, a, a conference call or a video conference, open it up a little bit early and let people get on and chat mm-hmm. before and then stay on, you know, and obviously the host usually has to stay, but give people the opportunity to just sort of hang out like they might in, in right. real life set. Yeah. Those are really good too. When I first was exposed to that kind of check-in approach, I found it a total waste of time. I'm you know, wired as an engineer. Right. If we're going to have a meeting, we're there to get work done, right? And it was forced upon me, and I put up with it. And over time, I quickly found that the other discussions we were having outside of those meetings were a lot more productive mm-hmm. and more enjoyable. And so that investment of a little bit of time in the meetings paid off you know, in, in other places as well. Right on. I appreciate you sharing the love languages in the form of appreciation for work and the research that you've done in this area and uh, giving us an assessment tool for anyone that grabs your book too. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. What did you bring for us? And tell us uh, why you chose that one for us. Well, it's sort of side door innovation. Okay. So it's not Uh directly on it, but the the quote I brought is, is one that we use in our training. It's uh, by John D Rockefeller. Uh, He says, I do not think there's any other quality so essential to success of any kind as the quality of perseverance. It overcomes almost everything, even nature. Uh And the reason I like that, and you know, may remember I said, you know, I pursued Dr. Chapman for a year and Uh uh, he had the politest, bulldog southern administrator i just couldn't get through but i like that idea of perseverance because it's something i can do and i can control i can't you know i'm only so bright i'm only so talented in certain areas and you know i'll do the best i can with what i got but i can keep at it and you know growing up sort of in the midwest that's sort of drummed into you anyway i mean you just keep at it and Mm -hmm. figure it out and and it's not just perseverance. I think there is a difference between perseverance and just stubbornness or bullheadedness. I mean, you want to accept the feedback that you're getting from, you know, your customer or the clients or whatever, but it involves problem solving and innovation and creativity right. along with it. But you still have to keep going because if you don't keep going, it doesn't happen. So that's why I like it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we just give up a tiny bit too soon. It just would have been that one more push that we would have seen the success. So. I appreciate that quote. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. The five languages of appreciation in the workplace. How can people get their hands on the book and the other resources that you've put together and find out more about your work? Yeah, two two things. One is sort of our our mothership website is appreciationatwork.com. And it's the word at, not the at side. So appreciationatwork.com. And it has information about the book and the codes and our training materials. But also, I'd, I'd be glad to offer to your audience, if they email me at yesdrpaul at gmail.com, yesdrpaul at gmail.com, and I'll send them some uh, information about our resources, but also a free sample report uh, so they can look and see uh, what it's like and, and then decide whether they want to move on from there. Oh, excellent. Thank you for making that available. So that was yesdrpaul at gmail.com? Right. Okay, got it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the information. It's been enjoyable talking with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the time. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers become product masters. 
How? That's by gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so that you can create products that customers love. Find the written summary of our discussion along with that action guide to help you take action now about the key concepts that Dr. White shared with us by going to theeverydayinnovator.com slash 298. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.